0: Hey, it's Haley here. Before we get into this episode, I have a favour to ask. If you're enjoying this season, please share it on your Instagram stories or leave a rating and review in your favourite podcast app to help other people find the show. Hi, I'm Haley Dunn and this is Beyond Reality, the podcast that explores the world of television production by chatting to the people behind the TV shows you love. In this episode, I catch up with supervising producer Katie Horbury, Originally hailing from the UK, she now calls LA home and her career in television has seen her work on huge formats such as Big Brother, Love Island and I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here across multiple international markets. I chat to Katie about the challenges of starting out. Why she values the balance of working in the field and in the edit and how her passion and determination has led her to where she is now.
1: I was from this tiny town where no one thought, including me, thought for a second I would actually be able to do it. Like, if anyone tells you you can't, ugh, it's irrelevant. You can't.
0: Hi, Katie. Hi, Haley. Joining me from L.A.?
1: From Vegas at the moment. Vegas hotel room. Oh,
0: in lockdown.
1: We're in lockdown, full quarantine for two weeks. So, yeah, I'm getting a little bit crazy.
0: How are you feeling your time in lockdown?
1: We're allowed to the gym for 45 minutes and the pool for an hour. So, like, life is just, like, literally waiting for the one hour at the pool. And then obviously, it's, like, the fastest hour ever. <laughs> as soon as you get there, I'm, like, looking at the time every two minutes so that it doesn't, like, creep up on me. It's awful.
0: It's such a weird, weird world these days.
1: I know, right? It's so, so crazy.
0: Well, when I wanted to do this second series, I wanted to have more of a focus on people that had experience outside of Australia. And you've obviously worked in the UK, you've worked in Australia, and now you're also working in the US. So I guess you've kind of done it all.
1: I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't actually know a lot about your story of starting out in television. So I guess what I like to ask people is, did you always want to work in TV?
1: I think I just always wanted to do something big. (laughs) I guess there's middle child syndrome I needed to be seen. So (laughs) like when Big Brother started in the UK, I was in high school and I was obsessed. I just thought it was the best thing ever. I was so addicted to it. So like back then, yeah, I mean, I would have definitely wanted to work on it, but I just never really thought I could, you know, it just, I was in this tiny little town in, in in the north of England. I didn't even know you could study the media, like I didn't know that was a thing. So until I actually got to college and then it became like an actual possibility, but yeah, always wanted to do something. I even like applied for the police and all kinds of random stuff because it was like, <laughs> I thought about going in the Navy once. Very weird. So
0: <laughs> where did you say you grew up?
1: So like in a tiny little town called Pontefract in the north of England in like West Yorkshire.
0: And is TV kind of non-existent there?
1: I mean like the most exciting thing in life in Pontefract was when like the local news filmed at Pontefract Castle which is basically ruins. It's like three bricks and on some grass. And, <laughs> and they filmed a big festival there and the local news came and like I remember sitting at home and we could see my brother's head like tiny, tiny dot in the corner and we were all like screaming because it was like Mark was on TV! This is amazing! I was like, biggest thing that ever happened in Fact. so yeah my TV career certainly wasn't going to take off from home
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you said you kind of had some interest in like you know the police or joining the Navy at what point did you actually think of television as a realistic career option
1: yeah I'm glad that's the one that worked out, out of at high school we studied media and we like watched an episode of Faulty Towers and like studied it and I didn't know that you could even study that so I just loved it I loved everything about it I loved the way we were talking about it I thought like everyone would want to work in TV. I just assumed like that's what everyone wanted to do. And then when I went to college, I realized I could take media studies as a subject and they had a whole like fake studio and just going to like an open day at college and finding out that you can actually study this stuff. I was just like so happy. I just knew then that's what I wanted to do.
0: So you went to university and what did you actually study?
1: Yeah, so after college, I had a year out and then I went to university and studied media and communication and I specialized in film and TV. So (laughs) I wrote my dissertation about, Lost, like it was the best degree ever. <laughs> Everyone else is like writing about molecules and science and stuff. And I was like, in the opening scene of Lost. <laughs> 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 it was
0: awesome <laughs> What did you cover in that dissertation on Lost?
1: Oh it was like ridiculous You take like a screenshot And just like Why did they use green in the right hand corner And why did they use yellow in the left corner It's like so detailed But I was just arguing that Blockbuster TV series were gonna take over And my whole thing was studying Like whether TV is gonna become As good as the movies But then as I was writing it Things kept happening Like Lost came out And 24 came out And all those shows that took TV To like what a Netflix series is now I guess so they couldn't possibly not give me a good grade because while I was writing it all these things get happening that proved it (laughs) (laughs) so I was like on to a winner it was great
0: you're like a trailblazer you were all (laughs) over this stuff yeah So while you were studying, were you more interested in kind of drama or reality TV, or like what kind of area of television or film were you interested in?
1: Well, I think like everyone has the like snobbery of like obviously the dream would be to work in film or work in the movies or whatever, but I think deep down I just wanted to work on <laughs> trashy TV stuff.
0: <laughs> like there is that kind of attitude with some people that film is the be all and end all, but reality TV is just so much fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just love the pace of it. You know you. You work in a movie and you'll shoot the same scene for three days and you'll just be like going out of your mind. Whereas in that amount of time, we've made three episodes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reality TV is funny. It's the funny moments all the time constantly, like and the team that you work with and the ever-changing industry, you're always going from job to job to job. Like and I just love the whole vibe of being freelance.
0: Yeah, and while you're at uni, were you doing any kind of internships or work experience in the industry? Yeah,
1: I mean we did a three-year degree and the most valuable thing that came out of it was two weeks working on Factor to <laughs> I obviously could have done without being at university. But yeah, we were really lucky. Part of our course was that you had to do work experience paths. And then X Factor were touring around the country, like doing auditions in all the big cities. And I was in Birmingham. So uh, me and a couple of friends got jobs on it. I mean, we literally were standing outside a door, letting people in and out for most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but still, just being in that environment at that age, like I was so young, and X Factor was like the biggest show in, in the UK. So I, I thought work experience on X Factor, I've made it. Like. <laughs> I'm never going to look for work again. I was like, all the work's going to come flood into me, which wasn't the case. But at the time, I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) I love
0: that. I think, yeah, that first moment, even when it is work experience, when you work in television, it's just like, wow. The scale of things
1: yeah you know just being in that environment like the pace seeing the producers everyone running around the cameras getting interviews and stuff like it was just the whole atmosphere around it and the energy of being in that environment I was quite happy standing on the door and just watching everyone and we got to sit in some of the auditions as well and for that to be my first experience of tv I thought I was gonna have to crawl my way up from like some unknown show you know and that would be <laughs> where I'd get in the end so for that to be my first experience was amazing I absolutely loved it and I just it was so motivational because I just knew watching those people run around and like just grabbing interviews and the good singers and then the bad singers coming out crying and just (laughs) the whole thing just seeing how the show gets put together. I just knew that I I wanted to be one of those people doing that.
0: And once you finish uni, what happened next?
1: Well, (laughs) that's the funny thing. So I leave uni thinking, okay, I got a first in my degree, but then no one asked me about it ever. (laughs) (laughs) But then because I'd done X Factor work experience and I did Big Brother as well while I was at uni. So I left thinking, oh, I'll just, I'll write to as many people as I can at ITV or whatever and I'm I'll I'll get a job soon like honestly a year later I'm like still at my mum's I was working in a petrol station there's a two minute walk away from my mum's house and I honestly used to stand like looking out the window thinking I'm gonna grow old and die in this petrol station (laughs) this is not what my life was gonna be (laughs) it's not what I thought after I've gone from x-factor to to petrol it was a bit stressful yeah But um, eventually, you know, (laughs) you persevere and you persevere. I knew, like, I had to get to London. That was my thing. I couldn't be in a small town. Even if I didn't work in TV, it was still my goal to get there. Then a friend from uni ended up working on a show and she got me on it for four week five weeks contract but obviously to move to London like you need a house you need a six month house lease and all that so my mum was freaking because I was like I'm doing it I'm just gonna go and and wing it and my mum was like how can you possibly you can't do that with this it's a six month lease you need a job but you're not gonna get a job that's six months so how are you gonna get a lease like she was just worried for me obviously and I was like see ya I'm going
0: (laughs) that's the thing though like I mean like, television is so hard to break into, and it's all about timing and connections, and you know, being in, in the right place at the right time. And for you, it sounds like you, you finished uni or you were studying in Birmingham, and then you went back home while you were trying to find work, but you're not in a place where there's opportunities. So you kind of need to be where there are opportunities, but it's a catch 22 because you don't have the opportunities so you don't have the money to get a place in one of the most expensive cities in the world
1: completely like it was so difficult I once had a call from a company I was back at my mum's earning like minimum wage and then I'd get a call saying oh do you want to come in for a chat like we got your CV or whatever Come in for a chat and so I'd be like yeah great so I'd, (laughs) I'd book a train book a hotel I'd end up spending like over £100 just to go there and then I'd go for the chat and the person would kind of just assume that I'm in London so they were like oh so we don't have any jobs at the minute but I just wanted to meet you (laughs) and I'd be like oh okay great I mean it's still worthwhile because obviously then if jobs come up then they put you forward for the job but at the time I was just like oh come on oh it's relentless so yeah I think the finance of starting out was definitely one of the biggest struggles for sure
0: I guess for you as well I mean you said that you finished first in your course you know you've come out of uni with this amazing media degree you've got a little bit of work experience up your sleeve and then it's just like okay when do I start and it's not really like that for most people, really.
1: It's just, yeah, it's, like you said, it's a difficult industry to get into. Like, mean, I, I was embarrassed to tell people in Pontefract that I wanted to work in TV because it was just so ridiculous to like anyone at home. Like, but, oh, I, if I told them, they'd be like, "Oh, great!" But I knew they were thinking, "Yeah, good luck. Like, no chance." <laughs> yeah. So, so all of all the doubters, as many people that said, "Oh, you don't know anyone that works in TV." I was like, "Well, then I'll go meet some people that work in TV." Like, I had never had that attitude that I couldn't get there. Until until I got a year into sending emails and then I started to think, okay, maybe maybe I (laughs) can't. But I was always just so determined, and as soon as I'd like studied it and met people that knew people that worked in TV, it felt more achievable. And you're right, it is timing and it is difficult, but then. As soon as, like, you get one step closer or one thing happens, you start getting really creative about how you're going to contact people and what you're going to say and how you're going to, like, connect yourself to people. Like, I used to go through the credits of shows I wanted to work on, and I'd work out people's email addresses from the credits and email them and stuff, and I had this massive document. And you only need one person to consider you. That's, like, you can send hundreds and hundreds, but, you know, eventually someone will need you. Someone will get sick or someone will not turn up to a shoot. You know, that's how you'll get in, I feel. or That's how... Most of the time. Totally. Unless, unless your mum's an exec or something <laughs> uh-huh. Most of the time, I think the way you get in, if you don't have much experience, is when production's in need and you're there at the right time, the right place.
0: Yeah. How many emails do you think you would have sent in that first year out of uni?
1: honestly like I just had this massive list of contacts and I just added and added and added to it anytime I had an idea of how I could work out someone else's email address someone else's someone else's I'd just add to it and then every month or so I'd just send hi I'm still available (laughs) still here for any (laughs) assistant needs I'm dying to get in the industry so (laughs) if you want to hire me I'll have a smile on my face like (laughs) I was just like please but yeah hundreds hundreds
0: yeah, literally. I mean, I've been there and I know like how soul destroying when, you know, all you want to do is just get your foot in the door and you're either getting no responses or you're getting like, yes, we'll keep you in mind kind of responses. Like spending a year doing that, did you ever lose your passion or question whether you know TV was the right way to go?
1: I think I started to, like towards the end of the year, that's when I started to go, okay, if this doesn't happen, that's when I realized I still want to move to London. I still want to get out of Pontifex and I still wanted to do something. But I did start considering alternative routes or alternative things, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to travel. I knew I wanted to see the world, which was another reason to work in TV because it was an industry I could do that in. But yeah, I did. I did. It, it's hard. Like it's hard. To this day, it's an industry where one minute you think you're never going to work again, the next minute you're like on top of the world. And then, you will know, like every job we have is five or six weeks long. And then you have downtime in the middle. If you don't spend money in the downtime. You're sending out resumes, sending <laughs> sending emails, trying to get the next job. And then the next job comes up and it's like, can you start tomorrow? And you're like, oh, I wish I enjoyed those two weeks more that I just had off. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wish I went out more, spent more money. But you're just <laughs> just so unpredictable. It really messes with you. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. And so how did you land that first job in television?
1: So it was like a casting job for do you have come down with me in Australia?
0: We've had it in the past, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah so that was huge in the UK so ITV tried to make another version of that called House Guest and it was like you had five contestants and every night someone had to sleep over in this stranger's house it was really odd but it was like you know scoring for a dinner party and all that and they needed someone to help with casting and go on one of the shoots and it was a friend I went to uni with who just put me forward for it and then they just called me and I was doing it oh yeah it was really odd like I didn't have an interview or anything. They just booked me on for the one week originally on the shoot, I think, and then they booked me for the whole episode casting for five weeks or something. Yeah, and that was it. I was in London forever.
0: So you finally get that call. You had a job, you know, five-week contract, and so you just packed up your life and moved to London and hope for the best. (laughs)
1: pretty much I had friends there that I stayed with luckily and then yeah just the next job came up the next job came up it is that once you're in you're in kind of thing but there were still big gaps in between jobs and all that it was always a struggle those first few years because you're paid pittance anyway when you're starting out and then London's obviously well expensive so I lived with friends but it was always like you're kind of living like paycheck to paycheck you know so you have to really really want it but I was so motivated by every day I had on, on sets because it was an environment I hadn't been in really. Like you learn about it at university, you learn at college, but it's just not the real thing. So once I started, once I was actually spending time on shoots, watching the producers, dealing with the contestants and stuff, like I was just so motivated by it every day, just feeling like I was just learning so much, you know, constantly.
0: Yeah. And what was, it? you sort of said it was a, a casting and you were out on set for that first job on Houseguest. Do, do you remember what the actual
1: role was? like assistant like a runner
0: yeah so
1: I was literally like going to a supermarket buying snacks for the crew and like <laughs> waters labeling tapes like it was so minor but they just need an extra pair of hands there sometimes you know like holding people behind doors while they're interviewing people and helping with lights and all the odd jobs it's like when you start out there you're in the perfect position like if you're a runner you're in the thick of everything that's going on. So you're just looking after the presenters, you're looking after guests. You obviously like have no control at all over the content, but you see it, so you just learn so much. Once you become a researcher and an assistant producer, you're not quite so involved in every single aspect of the show. It's like At the time, it feels like you just want to move up, you want to be doing more, but it's the best time of your life. Like You can work on a show if there's 10 runners on a big studio show, Like you just have the best time because you've got no responsibility, even though you feel like you've got the responsibility of the <laughs> world because you're a runner and you want to make a good impression and you just want to move up up and go somewhere so quickly but really like I look back now and I'm like man I wish I enjoyed those times a bit more <laughs> totally and it's just so much fun when you've got a good group of you
0: I lived in London when I was living there I was working as a commercial producer but I knew that reality TV is what I wanted to work in and I had one contact who I'd actually met traveling and she hooked me up with two days running so I did one day on Alan Carr's like new year special
1: yeah <laughs> which, Brilliant.
0: It was hilarious because during the record, I was uh, tasked with being the on-camera bar person, yeah. and so I was like meant to be pouring drinks and like getting all the drinks for the celebrities on stage. And at the time, it, like I didn't really know who they were because they were all British celebrities, and this was years ago. And one of them was James Corden, <laughs> who's obviously huge now. But I just remember there was an ad break and. <laughs> I had to like pour a beer and for some reason I like I went to pour it and it just it foamed up like the whole thing was just head and I just remember like you only have like a couple of minutes in the ad break to get these drinks poured and on the stage and it was so embarrassing like we delivered this drink and it was just head and it became like a little thing on the show but I was just like oh my god I'm dying but I loved doing that that was kind of my first ever day on set and then the other thing I did which was much more low-key it was X Factor auditions, but it was kind of the pre-judges, oh, yeah. like just with a producer. And I just remember I had this great producer. You know, my job was just to operate the camera and write down notes from the producer. But she was so great at just including me and going, what's your opinion on them? And, you know, what do you think? Should we put them through? Like,
1: I just had like the best time. That's so nice when you have a nice producer like that. Yeah, I had a bit of a mixed bag, but yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that and some didn't (laughs) yeah but yeah no it's a great experience that isn't it you feel like you're in the judging seat you feel like you're gonna be the next Simon Cowell
0: (laughs) I was like god don't let me sing
1: no 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 we're behind the camera for a reason we don't need to be singing
0: <laughs> so you sort of had that first job and you said other jobs came up, but it wasn't exactly back-to-back. So what were the next couple of years like? What sort of roles were you doing?
1: So at first I was doing a lot of casting researcher jobs. Like you'd cast a show, go on the shoot. I didn't really want to do casting though. I just found it so repetitive. Like you're doing phone interviews and it's really cool when you get your people selected and you know you've got a good mix of people and then you go on the shoot and stuff. But the few weeks of hardcore phoning through like hundreds and hundreds of people and it felt like a bit of a call Centre. I mean I'm so thankful for it and it got me in the industry and I learned so much from that whole process. So I totally appreciate like the casting side of the industry and the people who do that. But I just wanted to produce. I wanted to be more involved in the story and the editorial than the casting. And then I got to assistant producer. A lot of my background was casting and I was trying to move over to just assistant producing, that's like not in the casting realm. And I'd known that there's an assistant producer job that's based in the gallery on Big Brother. And I just always wanted to do it. And I used to write, I write to them all the time and stuff. I finally got an interview, and I didn't get the job. My one of my best friends, who you know, hi Matthew Edmondson. <laughs> <laughs> I met him after the interview, and he just had an interview as well for the same show. And then they called and offered him the job, and I didn't get it. And I was so upset. I just thought, oh, that was my chance, like you know, to get out of casting and to move into producing, and. That was the perfect gig and then two weeks later someone dropped out and they called back and offered me the job and i feel like that changed everything like it changed my path it changed everything that's on my cv since then is off the back of that show and just learning how to produce like i've always said this i'm so thankful To be able to work on that show and i moved it to producer on big brother as well and in that producer role you produce in the gallery you produce story and you produce in the edit which is quite unheard of really especially in america like the job people only tend to do one job here mostly so to get that experience of seeing every single part of how the whole show is put together from you know so early in my career it was the best grounding i could have asked for it was the best show to learn on and everything i've done since then Always comes back to how that worked. Like everything I learned there, I'm just so thankful for. Like, and I got to be the voice of Big Brother. I was like insanely happy. <laughs> <laughs> I just them to put their microphones
0: on. I was like, I'm
1: Big Brother. This is wild.
0: <laughs> Why do you think you loved working on Big Brother so much?
1: I think it's just the pace of it. Firstly, it was a lovely team always, and it was just always a really nice vibe. I looked forward to going to work, even though I was there for an eternity. And I came home and watched the show, and I'd wake up and just be looking forward to going back there, which is obviously rare. But then, like, yeah, if you're if you're story producing, you kind of you're watching, you're deciding what stories you like, what you want to put in the show, you're doing paper edits, you're talking to the editors about how to cut it, then you're back watching. It's just a really good creative bubble to be in. It really gets your juices flowing. You know, you're just on the ball all the time, and it's just it's so rewarding you then see the show that you made like 24 hours before and it's just so rewarding that whole process I think
0: Big Brother is just one of those formats it's one of the biggest formats in the world like everyone knows Big Brother so to get a job on that to sort of land that dream job is amazing
1: yeah for sure definitely and I think as well just because because I watched it in high school you know like any new show that comes out now I can think oh yeah I'd like to work on that but because I watched it and loved it as a child almost or as a teenager that's what makes it such an achievement for me because back then you just never thought you would be there you know you never thought you would be big brother but you dreamt of it so I think if there's ever a show that comes back or makes a rerun or whatever, like I'm dying to work on that stuff because like, it feels like more of an achievement if it was something I watched when I was younger. Totally.
0: So when you do a show that you had grown up watching and you loved and then you get to work on it and you're just like, how did I get here? Like, yeah, how totally. is this real life?
1: Yeah, and I just thought it would take a lot longer. I've been so looking at so many opportunities that have, have come up. So many things have come off the back of one show to so the next to so the next. So I think I thought that it would be a much tougher process, I guess.
0: And was assistant producer on Big Brother in the gallery, was that your first kind of assistant producer job in the field?
1: Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it was, after back from casting. I worked on the Is Essex doing the same thing, which was wild, because like, Big Brother would be the whole summer. And then I think I went on to an Is Essex shoot, and then I'd kind of go back and forth, you know. <laughs> What was that like? I mean, yeah, it's fun. It's just quite an experience, isn't it? Again, it was just a totally brand new way of making television. Like the constructed reality thing only really emerged in the UK with that show. It was (laughs) having so many limitations of filming Big Brother the way we did, being able to actually say what you want out of a scene before the scene happens and things like that and actually being able to produce it to the extent that you are is great because it just allows you to have so much control and be so creative. The hardest thing on Big Brother is editing it if people don't speak in a way that you can edit them. It's so difficult because you can't produce them. You can't say, can you say that again or can you put the question in the answer or all that? You just don't do that. So it can be really, really tricky then to start piecing it together in a way that works on TV. Whereas there any going to show like Towie and you're like (laughs) can you say that differently like it's just like yeah it makes the edit inside of it so much easier
0: so how many seasons of Big Brother did you do
1: oh (laughs) just checks resume (laughs) probably about five or six we'd have the main show for the whole summer and then there'd be a celebrity series right on the end and then a celebrity one in January as well so I definitely did two years of that, which was six. I think I might have done seven, another celebrity one as well. Yeah, a lot. A lot. It's a lot in our world. It's not you, it?
0: Yeah. But it says something, I think, when people keep going back to it.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, the show me and you worked on is my biggest one of those. Like, the Australian I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. I've gone back to that same place three times and it's just has such a such a feel about it. Like you'd live in this location that's like going back to the seventies even this time. Yeah. School camp. School camp, it feels like school camp, which is like my favourite thing about it, believe it or not. You live in these little cabins and you travel five minutes to work every day and everyone just is in the same bubble. You don't see anyone really from the outside world at all. But you have this whole community feel. And like you go back the next year and there's all these people here that you recognize. It's like a big reunion. It feels like a family. It feels like you're part of a family, literally. Yeah. And that's rare because I think one of the struggles of working in T V, it's like the pros and cons of being freelance you move around so much and you know we're tv people we want to move around we want to learn more stuff we want to do every show we just want to experience everything but at the same time then you become best friends with someone for six weeks and then you'll go off on different shows and you might not even see each other or speak to each other again ever Or, or you might work on the same show again with them in three years time and you'll be best friends again but just because of the nature of the industry like if you make a friend in tv and they're a friend for life then it's really really strong because so many people come and go out of your life yes That's fine, but, you know, if you had a normal job where you work in the same place every day and you had a good friend there, you would see them every day and it would be really nice. You know, whereas we lose that after seven weeks and it's always really hard to say goodbye constantly.
0: Hi. Yeah, it's true. It's like especially on away jobs as well because you literally you are living with these people, you are working with these people, and then often you all live in different parts of the world or the country or, or whatever it might be. You see them every day, and then you're just like, when am I going to see you again?
1: Exactly. Although I live in London and be friends with people that work in TV, and then we'd leave London, and then we will end up on the same shows. I see more of them when we don't live in the same city because we end up on the same shows. Yeah, <laughs> with loads of like you know Australian shows and Love Island in Fiji and. I'm I'm a celeb. So many of these shows now, the world's getting smaller and smaller, isn't it? We can all live in different countries and work on the same show. They'll bring the whole team back together. It's kind of a small world, reality TV, I think. You know, I moved to LA and there's so many people there on these shows now that I've worked with on other shows or that are from England as well. It just feels like a really small world because there's such a value to shooting abroad. So you don't necessarily have to live in the country that of the show that you're working on, which is it's such a great, great experience to have to be able to move around like that.
0: Yeah. And before we move on, you know, you spent a lot of time working on Big Brother and you were a part of one of the most iconic scenes ever in <laughs> Big Brother history, I think. <laughs> Can you explain just the uh, David's Dead scenario?
1: <laughs> I'll give it a go <laughs> so I mean bit of a touchy subject but David Bowie died obviously at the time we had his ex-wife Angie Bowie in the house so Big Brother has obviously has to tell her that he's passed away And she's obviously really upset. This is really sad. But then another housemate, Tiffany, is in the kitchen. Angie goes in and she obviously just wants to tell someone. Like, she's upset. So Angie tells Tiffany, David's dead. Tiffany, what? What? So shocked, so shocked. Tiffany thinks she's talking about David Guest, who is also a housemate at the time, who just happens to be in bed because he's sick. So he's in bed with the duvet over his head. So Tiffany runs out and tells everyone else in the house that David's dead. Call. Which, then, then they go and check on David, who's in bed. They pull the duvet down and David Guest kind of wakes up and they're like, what is wrong with you? He's not dead, he's not dead. And anyway, this this whole, like, it was five hours long of like this comedy of errors like i highly recommend youtubing if you haven't seen it because it was just like that could only happen in big brother it could like there's no other setup in the world no other tv show where things could happen in that way that made it spread like it did and it was just so crazy and so shocking and just like you can see how it happened but her reaction is so huge that everyone believes her
0: i felt so sorry for david bowie's (laughs) ex-wife like the poor woman she's just got this awful news and yeah. then she ends up being the victim
1: I am going for her like how can you say David's dead she's like but he is dead like for ages she didn't know it. no one knew it was what the confusion was it took so long and then the moment when she's like not David guessed <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, oh, well, why would you say that anyway? And it just like, <laughs> round, 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 round. Oh, man, honestly, it was like, hectic, hectic day. I mean,
0: that's a great example of Big Brother, the former. You couldn't make that happen. That just happened.
1: Exactly. No one expected that. No one came into work that day thinking that was going to happen at all. Like, they just thought, if anything, they thought, oh, no, we have to give someone bad news. That's not ideal. It's, she's going to feel sad and it's probably not going to be a much of a big day. How wrong were we? <laughs> to this day like I'm asked about it all the time yeah but yeah like that's just Big big Brother Gold isn't it Big Brother at its best just that whole show there's a compilation show the other day of like all the really old series all the best things they did and it's just such it just made me realise how much of a clever such a clever team and such a clever show all the tasks that they used to come up with and all the content that used to get created from like certain games and tasks that they put in that just like hilarious I just like it when it's funny I don't even I didn't even particularly ever use like all the drama in Big Brother that much I just thought it was at its absolute best when it was just funny some some characters and episodes were just funny from start to finish although bless him RIP David Guest. now then did pass away I mean that was pretty horrible he then did pass away a few months later and at the time Tiffany was like selling David's Dead t-shirts as merchandise
0: Oh, no.
1: I know. So, yeah, I think the sales of them of those T-shirts stopped.
0: Oh, shit. I know. That just took a really dark turn. <laughs> I know. So, in the UK, an assistant producer is essentially equivalent to what we call an associate producer in Australia. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: And how did you make that transition from an assistant producer to producer?
1: Well, a couple of shows so I Big Brother promoted me. Met a lot of the assistant producers there go on to be producers. Obviously, it's perfect, you know. They need new producers. It's the perfect route to be promoted and i was lucky enough to be recognized as like one of the good assistant producers and, and got promoted i also on the the ways essex i went and sat in the edit because as an assistant producer I, I knew i wanted to be a producer obviously but um i always just had this i always really wanted to understand the edit and how the edit works before i became a producer obviously like i just thought i, I need to understand where it's going to be a good producer in the field on location you know and so i would used to go and shadow like my friends would be on edit producing the the ways essex and i'd go and watch her through the night we'd do the overnight shift and I'd just go in for the whole night and watch them put scenes together to learn and then I ended up they ended up hiring me to do a few shifts as a producer for off the back of that which was really lovely and it was someone I worked on Big Brother with actually and ended up letting me go and shadow in the first place and then offering me work out of it and then yeah off the back of that I then went back to Big Brother as a producer and then yeah that was it.
0: Yeah cool I feel like there's so many different terms and ways of saying things so the UK calls it an edit producer Australia we call it a post producer and yes. the US, is it right that they call it a story producer?
1: Yeah, usually, yeah. I'm still confused by this. Like, I've been here a year and a half. And yeah, so I had a good friend here who helped me change my whole CV, which is now called a resume. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like we went through and every time I'd written post producer or edit producer, we'd made it story producer. But then like some shows don't call it that. I'm still baffled. Like I think the general rule, yeah, a story producer here in America works in post. Generally. Yeah, But sometimes they're on location. So it's really <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> and then in England, that would be a PD, essentially, a producer director who goes on location and then goes into the edit.
0: Right. So basically, you got experience in post and became a producer. So you could do post and also the field
1: yeah 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 big brother was so good because you did all three one minute you're based in the edit the next shift you would be based in the gallery the next day you're based as a story producer so yeah I was so lucky that I could have gone any direction I wanted and I just wanted to make sure I nailed the edit side and the post side before I did more field stuff just to make sure I was like you know really good <laughs> or just I just wanted to be efficient I didn't I wanted to know exactly what I needed and have the confidence to know when I'd got what I needed you know not spending hours and hours and hours asking unnecessary questions if you understand exactly what the edit need you're just going to get it so much faster and I'm sure you appreciate time is of the essence (laughs)
0: yeah I definitely think that doing post and doing field I think if you can do both I feel like doing the field helps me in post doing post helps me in the field like I think they really go together and actually knowing the whole process definitely helps you be better
1: at your job yeah 100% I feel like that should be a bit of a like a qualification you should have to have like you should have to have done a few weeks in the edit even if it's just a few weeks just to see the detail and the intricacy of it like if you've never been in an edit suite if you've never seen what goes into actually putting this together and how 95% of the stuff doesn't work like until you've seen that even if you've only watched it for a couple of weeks it's basically impossible to be a great field producer I think without seeing anything of an edit at all
0: for you are you more inclined either way like do you see yourself more as a field producer or a post producer or do you like to do both
1: (laughs) I think yeah naturally I'm an edit person I can watch something and I've put it together in my head I'm not even necessarily consciously thinking about how I would put it together it just it's kind of like that's how I organize things in my brain I think (laughs) so I can watch something happening and I'm just kind of paper editing it in my head already, but it just happens naturally. But I still love the field, I love doing all that stuff, and by having an understanding of the edit. It makes me enjoy the field more because if I'm editing my own stuff, I love it. I'd rather do both. But I really find it hard to hand over stuff. So if I can can only do one, then I just want to do the edit. Because if I'm doing field and I'm producing and I'm then not in the edit, like it's not my vision. You know, I'm organizing it in my head in a certain way. So I'm asking certain questions. I know how I want it to unfold. But if I give that to someone else, they might have a different vision and then they might not have everything they need for that vision because it wasn't my vision. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I'm field producing for someone else to edit, that's when it's like, okay, I need to cover everything a hundred times over and back again, because I'm so worried that they're not going to have what they need. So it's like, I make sure I have everything four times. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But that's something that I loved with Australian Survivor. So on the last two seasons I did, I was post producing as well, and I knew my episodes while I was in the field. So it's the best when you know what episode you have and what you're going to work with. Like you kind of already figure it out out and get excited about it especially when it's going to yeah. be a great episode you're like yes I get to work with these rushes
1: yeah can you imagine being on a shoot like that and then not being able to be part of putting it together in the edit like, yeah that's really to me I'd, I'd be so disappointed yeah um, yeah like th- that's my favorite day it's like you've done a shoot the shoot comes to the end and then you're going into the edit it's like you just I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to work I'm looking forward to seeing it on the screen and just like putting that whole jigsaw piece together it's, it's such a great process when you can do both
0: yeah it's such a jigsaw puzzle
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you like doing puzzles and you're creative like that like figuring things out and like solving problems then it's a really good job yeah
0: and you obviously had experience in australia so how did that come about
1: yeah so i knew lovely ollie nash who is an executive producer on the uk version of i'm a celebrity get me out of here and he also then went and helped set up the whole of the Australian version of the show he can probably give you a better description of that than me but <laughs> <laughs> he knows that show inside out like it's obviously on it I think it's on its 20th season now in the UK it's been the biggest show in the UK for years and years and so I knew him from that and then like I was saying the, the way you get through the door is when someone is in need or someone drops out so one of the post producers on the Australian version hurt her back I think so they were in need of a producer to fly out kind of in a day <laughs> and Ollie thought of me which I'm very very thankful for and emailed me it was a Few days after Christmas and it was like two days later I was on a plane to South Africa <laughs> watching videos about like snake venom and <laughs> what to do if you get bitten by a snake. I was like, what have I done? What have I
0: done? The warnings you get before you work on I'm a Celeb oh. that's based in South Africa are, are pretty full on. The stories <laughs> that you get told.
1: You know what? One day I was in London, two days later I was on my way to a jungle and I'm not joking, those videos, oh, it is terrifying, I was terrified. I just don't even really, I hadn't even really registered in my head like anything about South Africa. Everything happened so quickly. I was like quickly having to pack, get shots for this, all these diseases and like quickly packing up my life and then on a plane two days later or something. So it was crazy. So I hadn't even registered like the change of environment that I was going to and all that. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it. And then I'm watching this video and the security man's going, it's like, if you see a snake, stop, don't panic. Don't breathe heavily. Don't look panicked. <laughs> it's like, don't do everything that you're obviously immediately going to do. Don't shake. Don't breathe. Don't. <laughs> and then it's like, step back slowly. Oh, but make sure you don't stand on the babies that might be behind you. And I was like, ah! Oh! I was just like, this. Is... I'm just going to be a nervous wreck for six weeks, which I pretty much was, to be honest.
0: <laughs> I just remember the instruction you get is basically you need to check under your bed every night oh. before you go to sleep. And oh, I was in goodness. one of those rooms with four single beds. Oh, uh, no. so every night, well, every day because I was on night shift, so I'd go to sleep during the day, I would check under my bed with a torch. All the four beds, you know, I was so diligent because I was like, I do not want to be that yeah. person that has the snake that crawls into bed with them at night. Which did which happened. <laughs> Obviously, we've all heard that story. But I was like, if I'm lying on the ground with my face looking for this snake, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to get Thank bitten you. on the face if there's one yeah. in it.
1: This was my fear. I'm like, I, I, used to try and get people, other people, to check the bed for me because that was it. All I could see, all I could visualize, was I lift up the sheet, put my head down, and the snake is there, like biting my <laughs> nose or something. I was like, this is terrifying. <laughs> this is not the glamorous industry I thought I was going to. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be on my hands and knees checking for snakes. I thought I was going to be on a red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
0: beautiful place, though. I don't think I've ever worked anywhere as incredible as South Africa.
1: How lucky, How lucky. How are we to work in this industry where you get to go to places like that for free? Well, actually, you're paid, (laughs) you're paid to do that, like it's just incredible. I can't remember the last time I paid for a holiday because every location show I do, I just stay for an extra week or two on the end. I never plan a holiday because I just tag them onto the end of all my jobs, which is like probably my favorite thing about the industry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you worked in Australia before I'm a celeb,
1: I did, yeah, so years and years ago. I came to Australia, I did like the year out traveling thing, came to Australia and I worked on High Five, which was amazing, and MasterChef, and My Kitchen Rules.
0: So how did you come out to Australia and, and work then? Was it, you know, did you just get a visa?
1: Yeah, I did like the working holiday visa. I did the, the same route everyone does. So I went to Thailand, Cambodia, <laughs> Vietnam, Singapore, Australia. New Zealand, Fiji, Hawaii, I then did a summer traveled in America and then back home. So it's another thing I love about T V is like a lot of my friends wanted to travel but they were worried what would happen to their jobs and their experience and like having a gap on their C V and stuff like that, whereas we can do our jobs anywhere. And it actually looks great on your C V if you've gone to another country. So I remember working in Sydney in in restaurants and I was always really honest. I was like, I'm trying to get a job in T V but so I'm just looking for like a waitressing gig until I can get a tv job and without fail every single time they were like yeah okay yeah you come and work for us as a waitress and if you ever get a tv job just not thinking for a second that i will like and then two weeks later i'd be like sorry going to work on high five and they're like really (laughs) someone literally said to me like how realistic is that though and i was like well we'll see (laughs) we'll see won't we because obviously you don't think it's very realistic so (laughs) it was a nice moment when i could go in and be like yeah i'm leaving in a week
0: How long were you working in Australia for?
1: So my visa was a year, so I I think I worked for about nine months of it, and travel. I did the east coast and Perth, and you know all that travel about Pakistan. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah did you notice anything different about working in the Australian industry and that could be from your experience working on an Australian production in South Africa
1: yeah I don't know I mean there's a lot of funny terminology like when I first came to South Africa on the show me and you did together on I'm a celeb like it's just such a small things but like just the lingo certain I same in America there's so many things they'll say say here that you just kind of have to get used to you know once you say the wrong thing once you remember it forever Yeah.
0: Was there slang that you had to get used to? It's
1: just funny, Like we say gallery, do you say control room?
0: Control room, yeah.
1: That's a gallery to us in the UK, and then I think it's a control room in the US. There's a lot of that, especially here.
0: So, you said that you spent a lot of time traveling. Where were some of the places you went? What are some of the shows that you sort of traveled with?
1: So, the first abroad shoot I did, I think the only way is Essex, we went to Ibiza, and that's the first time I realized if you work abroad, you're mostly going to be in a room. (laughs) with no windows so we were setting up the following day's shoots so we didn't weren't necessarily on the shoots all the time we were in this huge basement of a hotel and i was like wow like being in ibiza and not being able to be in ibiza is worse (laughs) than not being in ibiza (laughs) so that was like oh okay this location thing is like work really gets in the way of being on location but then i got really lucky like shows like i'm celeb love island we filmed in fiji paradise hotel i got to go to mexico which was pretty cool i'd never been there before and i'm a big fan of guaca so <laughs> having that on tap <laughs> was like a big draw. Not to mention the uh, margaritas. Can you
0: just run through some of the shows that you've worked on? So
1: yeah, like I guess the shows like in that you would have heard of in Australia, I've done a lot of, as you know, Big Brother, The Only Essex, I'm Slippy, Get Me Out of Here, X Factor, X on the Beach. Do you have that show? Did
0: you do the UK version of X on the Beach? Yeah, yeah. I love X on the Beach. That's like guilty pleasure. <laughs>
1: Then since I came, I came to America and I worked on, so Paradise Hotel was the first thing I did out in Mexico. Uh, we did a Christmas show called Rap Battle.
0: Which is rap with W-R-A-P.
1: Yes, yeah. not, not to be mistaken for the cool kind of rap that I thought when I first got the email about the show. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a gift-wrapping competition. It was hilarious. It was literally one of the best shows I've ever done. It was just so funny because all the cast was so competitive that they all turned on each other.
0: <laughs> that sounds like such a fun show. It just sounds ridiculous.
1: It's ridiculous. It was like Carson Kressley, who's just one of the funniest people alive, I think. It was so like flamboyant and like ridiculous. It was just ridiculous. Three finalists had to gift wrap a car, and they turned them into like pineapples and reindeers and stuff. And it was July, and it was four to five degrees. <laughs> We're trying, we've got all this fake snow, and everyone's just sweating. And I was like, this is classic TV, isn't it? Like putting blue lipstick on people to make them look cold when they're actually boiling. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. We didn't do that, but it's funny. It was just like it was so hot, and we were trying to make people dress in like coats and scarves and stuff.
0: (laughs) So you've been working in the UK. You've done shows abroad. What made you decide to move to the US?
1: I mean, I think growing up watching stuff like Saved by the Bell, (laughs) like seriously, I think I watched so much American TV that like I just always wanted to live here, and I don't even know why. Like I just always did, and. I even remember when I first got to high school I was so disappointed because it was nothing like high school on TV because all I'd ever seen was American shows of like high school. I didn't even have a locker and I was so upset because all I remember is like everyone hanging out by the lockers. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just disappointed. (laughs) That's a really weird answer to that question. So I always wanted to live here, and then so when I went traveling, I think really I thought I was gonna end up in LA and never leave. But obviously immigration have different ideas, (laughs) so so I definitely left on the day I was supposed to leave. Tried to get a visa, you know, met with various attorneys and stuff. Tried to do what I could, but back then it was just too difficult. so I kind of just forgot about it, and then went back to UK. I worked on Come Down with Me again with a friend, Grievous, and me and him went on location, and we both talked about how much we wanted to live in LA. Always wanted to. I always wanted to do that like it had always been both of our dreams to live here but i told him my experience of trying to get a visa and how difficult it is and that was it and then i didn't see him for a few years and then he got in touch a few years later saying he'd found an immigration lawyer that was able to get him a visa and it just like relit the fire for me like so i met him we talked through it all and i was just that was it i was go. i was applying for it i was doing it it was like a no-brainer like i just never even thought twice about it i just knew I wanted to do it but that process is not small <laughs> yeah I mean it literally took me I think over a year to get out here from deciding I wanted to move to working out everything you need getting the visa sorted all that like it took so long so it's no easy task <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> but that's probably why I wanted to move here so much in the end because it seemed so unachievable for so long that when it actually the opportunity actually came I was I was definitely taking it
0: yeah it seems like you get an idea in your mind and then you just like you know you want to do it and it's no matter how many sort of obstacles or how much people tell you it's impossible like that kind of fuels you
1: even Uh, more (laughs) I think like we're all like that aren't we I think the best thing I ever had was people telling me I can't do it like the reason I'm here today is people told me I I can't do it I won't be that just like (laughs) oh yes I (laughs) can't like (laughs) I probably wouldn't have cared so much if everyone I told I wanted to work in tv went oh yeah cool I might not be here (laughs) it's also yeah it's one thing to get here but to stay here you have to love it You have to love it every day, I think. Something about it every day.
0: Yeah, so you're you're actually working in America on a, a visa. Yeah. And then what happens next? What are your plans? Are you wanting to stay in the
1: US? Yeah, well, that visa expires in March. So I'm in the process now of applying for another one, which will be another three years. And then after three years, if I want to stay forever, then I'll apply for a green card, hopefully. But yeah, we'll see.
0: And for you, I mean, your partner obviously works in television, Ryan. So, you know, you've got to organize it for both of you and make that work. And he's South African. So I guess there's like a lot of conversation. <laughs> Complications in that.
1: There's a lot of moving parts. So, we're in Vegas now about to start Love Island. I'm a producer, he's a director. It's a good job we're not going for the same jobs here because that would probably be like really awkward. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, we're lucky. We both work on the same kind of show. So it's obviously great when we can both do the same show. It works out really well and we can share contacts. You know, we've got this huge document now, the same as what I did years ago. We've got this huge document of every contact either of us has of us ever made or, you know, we're going through LinkedIn and then COVID hit and the whole industry shut down. So <laughs> that doesn't help either. But, yeah, we're so lucky Love Island came to America when it did because there's not a lot of people here that have worked on the show already. How they make the show here is based on how Big Brother back in the U.K. is made. So we're really, really lucky, really lucky that that's the case.
0: So when did you arrive in the U.S.? When did you move over to
1: L.A.? Uh, So March last year, so I've been here like 18 months.
0: And what was your first job that you landed in the US and and how did you land it?
1: So the first job I got was Paradise Hotel, which again, like you say, like how many times right place at the right time? Like I happened to bump into someone I worked on Big Brother with back in the UK just before I left. And she said, oh, I know a couple of people that live out there. Like, let me know when you get there. So obviously as soon as I landed, I was like, I'm here. Can you send them my CV? And it just happened that they were crewing Paradise Hotel at the time, which is one of the shows that they were making in the same way that we make. Big Brother love Island in the u k like all those shows it was just it was made in that way, which not a lot of shows in America are, so it was kind of the perfect bridge so five weeks later, I was on my way to Mexico, having around just arrived in l a yeah it just it's really odd, I just felt like it. I felt like I was just at home. I was just on a show like I would have been if I was in England, but I was getting to meet all these Americans. And classically, half of that team came from American Big Brother. So I was like, wow, this is a small world. You know, (laughs) everything works the same as it did back home. Yeah. (laughs) So it was a perfect place to get, get me in. Get me, get me started. Definitely the perfect start, yeah.
0: And is there any kind of, I guess, I don't know, confusing situations or like, you know, miscommunications because of the accents or because of, you know, just a different way of doing things between the US and the UK?
1: I mean, it's just the sense of humour, like, <laughs> the irony, you know, like, obviously the Brit- British sense of humour is irony, it's like, self-deprecating, it's <laughs> laughing at ourselves crude so I think my sense of humor just my general just being sarcastic I've never experienced people actually question if I'm being serious or not like <laughs> everyone always knows I'm joking if I say something <laughs> ridiculous until I came to America and then I can say something so ridiculous that I think so obviously a joke And like I'll get these looks like did you really just say that and then I'm like no I'm joking and they'll be like oh haha, funny like as soon as they know it's a joke they find it funny but like <laughs> it's not does that make sense yeah, I know
0: exactly what you mean, because I know your sense of humour.
1: <laughs> you know, like, I, I'd come into work, so we did night shift in Paradise Hotel, I'd come into work, and I could say, like, well, I've had two hours sleep, my breakfast tasted like poo, and I'm really thirsty, and there's no water. So, so far, I'm having a really great day. <laughs> to me, it's clear that I'm not having a great day, but they will like, I'll get like, really? Yeah, it's a great day? I'm like, no, obviously, it's not a great day. <laughs> no it's a joke it's not a great day but like it, it just yeah it doesn't translate quite as easily as that would be a standard joke in england on a daily basis i think yeah <laughs> irony doesn't translate straight away but as soon as you say you're being ironic then they think you're hilarious and then it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's two weeks of getting to know each other there's like a couple of weeks of getting to know when we're joking or not and then it and then it's great
0: yeah <laughs> Once you'd had that first job on a US show, Paradise Hotel, did you find it then kind of easier to get the ball rolling?
1: Yeah, like, it just gave me a bit of a grounding, I guess. Having a show on Fox Network, it meant that they knew where to place me and what kind of stuff I do. I'm lucky that the Brother's so big here as well. If you've got Big Brother on your resume, it translates very well.
0: Totally. It is like sometimes when you do work on those international formats, it's kind of like, great, okay, people will get this.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Even if you're going for a different show, you can always talk about Big Brother. It's it's the way reality TV began, I think.
0: Totally. And what is your favourite part of working in reality TV?
1: I think every single shift, there's a sense of accomplishment. Say Australian I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I'm a post-producer, so I'll come in, sit in the control room, watch the dinner game or an in-camp challenge, and I'll watch it, make sure I've got all the shots we need for the edit. I'll write down all my notes of everything that's happening, time codes, go into the edit, And me and the editor will spend the whole night putting that scene together. We'll screen it to the network at 2, 3 a.m. And then the show's broadcast at 10 a.m., I think. So every single day you've achieved something and it's on TV. It's just such a sense of achievement, you know. Every single shift you will create something that you're proud of, I think. Hopefully, anyway. (laughs) not
0: always <laughs> totally and I think there is something really satisfying about working on a format that is 24-hour turnaround or you know seven day turnaround because you just you get that instant gratification seeing it straight away getting it out the door yeah
1: when they're real successful there's a buzz about the show so people at home are talking about it they want to know what really happened they're asking you for the inside gossip kind of thing you know when you think something's funny and you put it in the show and then a friend texts you saying oh that thing was really funny you're like yes <laughs> it's really rewarding especially like in days like today like tv and entertainment I think it's so important people need it to escape like shows we make uh, their entertainment it's escapism it's something for people to come home from work and just sit and enjoy and then talk about the next day at work it really bonds people and it's easy it's not too challenging on your mind you know, it's entertainment, and that's that's what I grew up on. Family entertainment, going to school every day, talking about what you saw on TV last night. It's part of my culture. It's how I grew up. So I really love being part of that from this side as well as watching it.
0: Yeah. And what do you think is the worst part of being in reality TV? What's your least favorite part?
1: You know what? I bet I put money on. Like I'm sure every single person you ask says the same thing. It's obviously the hours.
0: Yeah. I don't think I've had anyone that said anything
1: else. (laughs) You know, it still still is rewarding though. You know, you get home from a crazy shift. I think I've done like 24 hours before and and I know there are people that have done more than that. And it's insane. There is still a sense of achievement about that when you get to the end of it. But it's kind of unsustainable. You need a balance. And the best thing about those location shows is you're around your friends all the time. And we work hard, play hard. And I love that. I don't want to not be a hard worker. It's in me to be a hard worker. I love those shifts when you don't even look at the time it's so crazy, you're just all day long in the zone, making the show, and you want it to be the best it it can be, I'm never going to be the person that's out the door the second my shift ends, I'm going to be out the door when I'm comfortable that I've done everything I can to make the show the best it can be, so yeah, like I can (laughs) the hours are probably partly my fault, maybe I could leave earlier than I do sometimes, but yeah, it's just, it can be a bit relentless, that last couple of weeks everyone hits a wall, when you first get there you're so up for it, like now, I'm in quarantine right now, like I cannot wait to work an 18 hour day or something like I want to be exhausted (laughs) but um sometimes it just it does if you're working crazy long days six days a week you get to week six and you're kind of like you're at your end (laughs) but it is also just the way these shows work and how how they get done so I think there is a balance that needs to be found but I I don't want to work an eight hour day
0: yeah yeah yeah, definitely (laughs) I know it's like we work these crazy hours but at the same time you know if you love it you just do it you definitely need to take breaks when you can
1: yeah well that's also the thing is not it? we're so lucky that we're also in an industry yes you can work 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 and it will be crazy and full-on but then at the end of it like wherever you are how many people get to spend two weeks in these islands in fiji like after they finish a job that's amazing so yeah you know pros and cons
0: <laughs> how long have you been working in television now
1: so overall i think it's about 11 years oh makes me feel so old.
0: And you're now a supervising producer?
1: Yeah, sometimes I'll just do producer jobs, sometimes supervising depends on the show. I like to know the show inside out before I step up to pre- supervising on it.
0: And what is essentially a supervising producer?
1: As a post producer, I'll kind of be allocated certain scenes and we'll work with an editor to edit those scenes. As a supervising producer, I'm then across all of the the scenes of the show. So I'm distributing everything that I want to put in the show to various different editors, watching a rough cut when they've when they've got a rough cut down, making changes, making sure you know everything's in there that we want. And then it's much more about having an overview of the whole episode instead of just your scene. It's how the whole episode's working together, how the stories are flowing together. Does everything fit? Have you got like a nice mix of comedy versus heart, emotional stories versus fun, and lots of lots of movement? Just keep it keeping the whole look and the whole vibe. Of, of the whole show looking and feeling as, as best it can with the right mix.
0: And I don't know if you're going to have an answer to this question, but <laughs> I always think it's funny that when we work in reality TV, we end up doing so many different random things that wouldn't fall within a normal job description. Like, what is the weirdest <laughs> thing you've ever done in television?
1: The weirdest thing. I mean, I went to the BAFTAs in the UK a lot, so you allocated. A person who's presenting an award to look after. So I had to look after Ray Winston, who is amazing, so lovely, so fun, like the per- best person I could have got. But happens to be friends with Leonardo DiCaprio, who also turned up, and Martin Scorsese, because they were nominated for an award. So I end up stood talking in this conversation where Ray Winston's like pretending that he knows me, just because he's that lovely and being nice, was pretending I'm there as his guest, so that like Leonardo DiCaprio actually like paid me, like <laughs> didn't pay me, a person, but you know at least just acknowledge like, that I was there instead of just completely ignoring me. And which was lovely. <laughs> so that was certainly a pinch yourself moment because Titanic was obviously a big movie back in high school. So that's was my... <laughs> and followed his career ever since. And it was the year he won he won the BAFTA and then he won the Oscar for The Revenant. So it's kind of a big big deal. So
0: that's amazing. What were you doing at the BAFTAs?
1: We were like chaperone in the with the stage manager, the people that are presenting an award. So it's our responsibility if someone's presenting an award to make sure that they're backstage. On time when they're needed, you basically only get them there with about a four-five or five minute window before they go out on stage. It's a bit of a route to take all the way around the theatre. So if something happens, you know they'll bump into their actor friend, or they'll need to go to the toilet, and like you're always like five minutes to get them there. It's, it's quite intense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what responsibility? I always think of that moment in the Brit Awards when Harry Styles was on the toilet, and I'm like, that was always my biggest fear that like someone someone who's supposed to be presenting an award and a my responsibility is in the toilet when they're called out on stage.
0: So. It's so hard to say anything, isn't it? Because it's like, they're like oh. these big time celebrities. So you have to kind of make sure that you're not offending them, yeah. that you're, you know, being polite. But at the same time, it's like you you have a job and you've got, you know, comms on or someone's screaming in your ear and,
1: any other per like any other time, if like you were in the toilet and someone's going, "Where's Haley?" I'd be like, Hayley, we need you." That same thing happened to me with Justin Timberlake. I'm like, "Wait, <laughs> I have to shout in the door to Justin Timberlake that he needs to hurry up." Like, I, d- I just don't know how to do that. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> "Just uh. <laughs> <Like,
0: laughs> Justin Timberlake just- was on the toilet, and you had to tell him to hurry it up.
1: Yeah, literally. <laughs> and his like giant like thirty stone bouncer like stood outside. I was like, Can you just ask him to hurry up? He's like, No, no, you do it. I was like, Oh come on <laughs> <please."> <laughs> <laughs> He's got the Charles Snake out in there. I don't want to shout him.
0: <laughs> that was actually that's always my worst fear when I've got comms on. It's like you go to the bathroom and then you hear your name being called and you're like <laughs> I'm not gonna answer. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna say like hello from the toilet. But then you hear you, and when someone repeats it, you're like, oh god,
1: oh god. Like, I mean, we that is that is just like the epitome of we work with a gun to our heads, isn't it? We can't even pee. Yeah. We <laughs> can't pee. It's just not, we just don't have time. Sorry, can't pee. No, not for like another five hours. <laughs> I can't believe you looked after Justin Timberlake. Hell yeah, no.
0: and what advice would you give someone starting out in television
1: well uh, firstly I always always say like if anyone tells you you can't it's irrelevant you can't like I was from this tiny town where no one thought including me thought for a second I would actually be able to do it but the second you get out into the world and every reason someone has for why you won't be able to do it just turn it on its head if someone said to me, oh, it's a working TV, you need to know people who work in TV. So then go meet some people that work in TV, like work out where they're going to be. Put yourself in that environment. Your dad doesn't have to be an exec for you to get into TV. If you really, really want to do it and it's all you listen to things like these podcasts and it motivates you and inspires you and you want to be in that environment and in that world, then you will find creative ways to get yourself there. Just get yourself in the environment. Talk to people. Don't be afraid to tell people it's what you want to do because someone will know someone. Someone will help you at some point.
0: Definitely that's what you have to do you have to talk about what you want to do because you never know who knows someone who knows someone else and it it can always lead somewhere because it is an industry where you, you do have to know people so yes like you said if you want it you have to work for it and you have to find a way to get to know yeah. people in television
1: yeah. but at the same time as well like a lot of my jobs I didn't I didn't get through knowing someone on that show like I got into TV that way which as kind of, you know, when you haven't got any TV shows on your CV, obviously you're going to need a way in. But after I got that first job, so many of my jobs came from me emailing a stranger in the industry and them seeing a show that they recognised. But so many jobs have come through people I didn't know. Yeah. So it is a small world and, yeah, people will recommend you and you can go back to the same show over and over and there is definitely a circle. But also, you can also get jobs speculatively. Just do that. Message anyone you want to work for, anyone who's in a position where you want to be, tell them that, talk to them, ask for their advice. People will want to help if they like you and people will like you. Just be in that environment, you know. Put yourself in that environment and be a nice person.
0: Yeah, and what would be your advice for anyone that isn't from America but wants to work in the U.S.?
1: You know, I think the US is kind of its own entity a bit. Whereas I think most shows that are made in the UK, even if there isn't an Australian version, they'll be shown in Australia. We all see the same stuff. Whereas America have a lot of shows that are just kind of, exclusive to America I found less so now with like Hulu and Netflix and stuff things are generally being sold worldwide but I think if you can get on those big format shows if America is where you want to be try and do as many recognizable formats as you can things like Big Brother that regardless of where you are people will know it so even if they don't have their own version they'll know it Uh, like the shows that are on Netflix Love Island came to the states because it's so huge in England and Australia and so everyone on Paradise Hotel I worked with watched UK Love Island on Netflix so the well, it is getting smaller, it's happening more. So if reality TV is what you want to do, just, yeah, just try and, try and get on big formats that are really recognisable, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice just for working overseas. Whatever market you want to work in, work on shows that are going to be recognised over in whatever country it is that you want to work.
1: Yeah, and Facebook, you know, the amount of people that moved here that I worked with years ago and I saw on their Facebook that they're living here. Keep in touch with people always that's the best thing about Facebook I think you might not speak to someone for six years but then the second you're both in LA you're like wow we should meet up <laughs> you know yeah. just because you come from the same place that's what happens anyway you can live in the same place as someone not see them ever but if you're both in the same country abroad then you just feel like you have this duty to meet up yeah so yeah, keep your circle big. Keep connecting with anyone you work with, anyone that inspires you, anyone that is doing what you want to do cuz I guarantee 20% of them will be living in LA in a few years and they'll they'll want to help you cuz there is also a really lovely camaraderie here around. People that have gone through the struggle, they understand it. It's not like anywhere else. So anyone who's done that is generally really up for helping and that's really nice. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And for you, I mean, you sort of talked about growing up in a small town where, you know, television wasn't ever a possibility. What does your family think now? Like now that you've, you know, you've made it.
1: (laughs) I think they wish I worked less so I could Skype more. (laughs) Um, They're just so proud of me. You know, it's so lovely. They just always wanted me to do whatever made me happy. And that's like, I know that every time I get another job on another show, they're really proud of me and I love it when they're watching. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. being able to fill them in on what was really going on or the behind the scenes stuff. You know, my mum and my stepdad have always watched Big Brother, and my dad's always watched I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. It's really nice to be part of something that big when your family and friends are watching. At home, it's really rewarding because you don't get to see your family and friends' workplace much, really. You know, that's always just a separate part of your life, really, isn't it? It's such a huge, huge part of my life. It's my whole life, so it's nice that they're involved in that in some way because they watch what I make. Whereas that's quite rare, you know.
0: Yeah, that's true. Like I never thought about it like that. That you know, you don't really see into other people's workplaces, but it's actually true. It's like you can share a little bit of your life with them.
1: Totally, yeah. It's also really useful for me as a producer to have someone's take on it because, you know, we see 24 hours and then we put it into an hour and we try our best to portray everything as it's happening and and properly and stuff. But it is really useful to be talking to viewers about it Yeah. and people who will just tell you what they think because sometimes you're so in it, it's really difficult to see that. So I've loved that as well. When I lived in London, I lived in a big house of six other people and we were all really good friends. So we'd watch the show together. That was like the best focus group. To see you know, how good a job we were doing, I was sitting there like ho- waiting for, hoping they'd laugh at certain bits and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right,
0: Katie. I want to do the quick fire questions. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> your time starts now. What is your favourite reality TV show to watch? Love Island. What was the last TV show you watched?
1: Oh my goodness, Entourage.
0: (laughs) Who is the most famous person you've met through working in TV?
1: Leonardo DiCaprio.
0: What is your dream show to work on that you haven't already worked on?
1: Oh, the Oscars.
0: Best location you've been to for work? Mexico. What canceled TV
1: show needs to make a comeback? Oh, that's funny. I was gonna say Supermarket Sweep, but it did. (laughs) Oh, I know, what is it called? Fun house. Fun house. One hundred percent fun house. What's fun house? Uh, well the clues in the title, Haley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you ever been on television?
1: <laughs> we used to have a seat full at the baptism. and I was in the audience and my mum was like, I found you on TV, I found you on TV and managed to pause at the exact moment. I looked so miserable. I looked <laughs> such a resting bitch face. I was like, Oh brilliant
0: <laughs> <laughs> If you could be on any reality T V show, what would you be on?
1: Oh, Shipwrecked. I feel like I should say something more credible though, like Survivor, or like, you know, something more challenging. But I feel like Shipwrecked is about as challenging as I'd want to be challenged on on TV.
0: And if you could have dinner with any celebrity, dead or alive, who would it
1: be? Uh, Prince Harry. He's a legend, isn't he?
0: Have you ever met Prince Harry?
1: No, never. I don't know if we'd get on. I'm very northern.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. That was so much fun.
1: No, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun.
0: Cool. I'll let you get back to your very Las Vegas apartment. Every hotel in Las Vegas, I think, looks the same.
1: Oh, uh, beige
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just torture though because like you can see vegas out the window but we can't go pie
0: <laughs> well enjoy the rest of your quarantining <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. bye
1: thanks so much for
0: listening if you're enjoying this series i would love if you could share on your social media and help other people to find this show don't forget to subscribe to get the latest steps dropping directly to your podcast feed Love this podcast? You can support Beyond Reality through the Buy Me A Coffee program. It's up to you how much you give and there's no ongoing obligation. Head to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash beyondrealityau or click through the link in the show notes to make a contribution.